Hello, this is Jason Bullman. And I'm his wife, Rachel Bullman, and this is the School of Humanity podcast. There's a wonderful quote from St. Irenaeus that says, The glory of God is man fully alive. And this quote really propels everything that we talk about on the School of Humanity podcast, how we can use everything to glorify God, everything in our culture, everything about the human person, and all of it glorifies who he is within us. Welcome back as we continue our discussion on NFP using the talk from Dr. Janet Smith on contraception, why not? And so the last episode we ended by kind of going over the four predictions that were made in Humana Vitae. And so we're going to kind of rehash those really quickly for you. In Humana Vitae, which was written by Pope Paul VI, he hashed out in section 17 four predictions that he thought that if contraception or contraceptives were widely available, that these things would happen. So number one, general lowering of morality in society. And so this um, was in 1968, and I think we can definitely say in 1968 to 2019, there's definitely been a general lowering of morality in society. Yeah, I mean, pick your way to try to prove that. Um, One, I think, is just television. Television. Or media. Songs. I mean, even the way that songs are. The rise of the internet, you know, and the things that are available now at the click of a button. Yeah. I mean, pornography. Pornography. I mean, and obviously 1968, we weren't even thought of yet. But I I would beg to ask if pornography did exist in 1968, what pornography was then compared to what pornography is now. Right. I would obviously not want to expose myself to such things, but right. I bet they're vastly different. No. Oh. Um, number two of Humana Vitae predictions, general disregard for the physical and psychological well-being of females by males. Yeah, I mean, again. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of pick your way and how you want to, to talk about that. Number three, governments would use family planning programs for coercive purposes once contraception was widely available. And so we, we mentioned briefly that that is definitely something that you see very prolific in China, that... We want male babies. We only want one baby. Mm-hmm. And they do have, have uh, instances there where there are forced abortions. Sure. When there's been more than one child or if they find out the child is a, is a girl. Well, um, even the philosophical concept of eugenics. Right. I think it's been well established that that was, um, you know, the founder of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. That, that Margaret was, Singer. Yeah, that was part of her agenda really um, was to, to sort of have of, this pure race, which right. I mean, you know, if you're in the government and trying to, you know, create uh, a nation uh, that you can control and that is, you know, to your idea of what perfection is, then what better way right. than to uh, do so through contraceptives and through um, eugenics. And, I mean, they, the studies that they did on that was that they, they made sure that contraception was available in, like, lower-income neighborhoods mm-hmm. and in certain neighborhoods that were prolific in this particular kind of ethnicity. So right. that was definitely something that is, is very obvious when you look at those times. The fourth prediction from Humana Vitae in Section 17 was that we would begin to treat our bodies as though they were machines. And, you know, I think a very important preface to uh, your a person's learning about contraception and, and learning to its connections to the various um, immoral things that have happened now in our society is also a good look at, at feminism and uh, the, the feminist movement, which was meant to be something uh, 
good. Yeah. It was meant to be something positive. For some reason, I could not think of the word positive. I was like, what is the word that's opposite of negative? And it just was not coming. I almost said pro, and that wouldn't have worked. So no. positive. Um, so the feminist movement was meant to be a positive thing, you know, to allow women to vote, to allow them the opportunity to work outside of the home during the wars. And then it kind of took on this whole other thing. And I think maybe because there were some women that thought this wasn't enough, like we need more. The feminist movement then became so disordered that women eventually started to believe that the only way that we can gain equality with men is to become men. Right. To be able to be them and have everything that they have, we must become them. Right. And so I think that the, the feminist movement was a huge move towards a lot of things. Right. And I think that this fourth prediction of contraception becoming widely available and then we treating our bodies like machines, if somehow we could develop a way for women to be able to have children without men, the feminist movement, as you know it today, would just skyrocket. Well, here's, um, I think it precisely in trying to be like men, you you abandon your particular feminine genius, you know, right. and the particularities of being woman, which the most beautiful, I think, part of that arguably is motherhood. Right. And so if contraceptives are, you know, um, behind or within the feminist movement and, you know, their whole pitch is that it, it allows you to be, quote, more free and so you can be more like men and just have sex without consequences. Right. And sort of use it for pleasure. And then it also allows you to, you know, be play the more uh, the the role of, you know, the worker. Right. Um, instead of the child rearer, you, you sort of have poo pooed your like most beautiful aspect uh of of your particular your gender yeah Yeah, and that was a really good (sighs) philosophical term that you just used there poo-pooed right we definitely have babies in our house um (laughs) (laughs) but the other thing about that is is that i think i posted something similar to that on twitter the other day that in order for women to understand what the new feminist movement would be would be to understand that equality does not mean becoming men Right. But that equality means recognizing who you are in your otherness. That I am not woman unless I recognize that in the presence of man. And that in order for us to understand what equality must mean, then we have to have a greater understanding of who we are as men and women. Right. That the world needs both of those things. The world needs who men and women are. Right. You know, we don't need to negate that to become who we're meant to be. Well, when we try to, we, we usurp our identity as image and likeness of God, you right. know, which is who we are, because even God in himself is equal in dignity and uh, in divinity, right. but distinct in persons for the sake of communion. And so woman tries to be a man or a man tries to be a woman, then there's you know sort of this attempt to dispel the distinction and therefore the communion right. um, between the two. And you definitely see that within uh, this whole notion of contraception, you know, and, 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 and you can see it play out. Like if you look at the at creation and the fall, you can definitely see what God meant for man and woman. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the fall in particular, you can see how what he had meant for our perfection then gets twisted up in, in the lie of the enemy. 
And so you see that same thing within contraception, Mm -hmm. that one of the reasons why people were fighting so hard to have contraception is because they said that we'll have better marriages if, if we have contraception, because we'll have spontaneity and various things. And there is a study out of Stanford by a guy named Robert Michael. And he said he noticed that there was a rise in divorce from the 1960s when the pill became available, that it started to rise in the same manner that the pill was being given out, like more widely available. They're correlated. Yeah. So he said that the divorce rate didn't like level out until the pill was available for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so he did He did a study saying, you know, well, these are the reasons why I think that happens. And one of them was that he said um, there's more, more adultery. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you can have sex without the chance of a baby, then right. you can, of course, have this incentive to get away with it easier. And Right. That is happening. He said that there was also um, that there were fewer children and that they were having children later in marriage. Like you would have a couple get married and they would say, you know, hey, let's stay on the pill for a couple of years until we decide that we want to have children. Right. And then maybe we'll have children then. And so then what you have then is two people that may or may not have a relationship with God and then may or may not have a relationship that is turned in on one another instead of turned out to the world, you know, as gift to the world. And so... In those cases, he was saying that there was just this, there was an overwhelming selfishness that came from that. Not to say that everyone is selfish in that way. We're going to have a lot of really upset people with us. Um, right. But that generally speaking, that that was what he found in his study. Sure. And that there was that, it, it led to that correlation between, between contraception and divorce. And so I think it's important for us to also understand what the natural law is behind the conjugal act. That the conjugal act is meant to be between man and woman for procreation right and later you read in theology of the body and also throughout love and responsibility that john paul ii kind of puts this language to it like we are supposed it's supposed to be procreative and unitive supposed to bring two people together bring them closer together and allow this opportunity for procreation right i think i might have mentioned this maybe in previous years but there's also another really great document that everyone should read especially for today and in, in this time is um, it's called Donum Vitae. It's the instruction on respect for human life in its origin and on the dignity of procreation. It's actually from 1987. It's from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. And it's one of the only documents that kind of says, hey, this is, this is the thing and we do or do not support this. And because of that, this is why. I think a lot of people aren't, aren't aware that this document even exists. But like, for instance, it says, it gives kind of like an outline of those things. Like, why are we writing this document? And the first section is called Respect for Human Embryos. And it says, what respect is due to the human embryo, taking into account his nature and identity? Yeah. And it goes through like, this is why we aren't allowed to like mess with it. Like yep. we can't go in and, and basically create our own DNA. Right. Is prenatal diagnosis morally illicit? And by prenatal diagnosis, they're talking about like going in and how they do like the, am- isn't it called amniocentesis? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they go in with a needle and they try to test for sure. maybe Down syndrome or something like that prior right. to the baby being born. Right. And uh, let's see some other questions in here. 
How is one to evaluate morally the use for research purposes of embryos obtained by fertilization in vitro? The other thing, too, to mention is that these are all very difficult things. I mean, contraception is a very difficult thing. We tend to think that it's not because it's so widely available. I mean, you go to your OBGYN and they constantly want to ask you about that. Like, what pill are you on? What contraception are you using? That's just like household talk around here, you right. know? It's presumed that you... Right. You probably should be if you're not. Yeah. Um, and even if you're not, it almost seems like they're trying to find a way to make you on it. Yep. You know, it, it seems to be like part of the the big brother, like pharmaceutical industry that we're going to make sure that everyone's on the pill because we're all making money from this. And so a lot of times you'll see young woman come in and I'm struggling with this or that symptom. Oh, well, birth control could help with that. Yeah. I have horrible migraines. Birth control would help with that. My cycles are super heavy and I cramp a lot. Oh, birth control could help with that. I have PCOS. Okay, let me prescribe you some birth control. And so... Now there is, it's called the NAPRO, uh-huh, NAPRO. Uh, medical movement, I guess you could even say it's called. But it's basically an approach to especially the nature of woman and knowing that there are other methods out there to there are treat those answers, things. Yeah, for there those are other things. answers. It yeah. doesn't always have to be the same thing and the same pill. Right. Anyway, that's just really worth a good read. Yes, definitely worth a good read. And just the things that then go around with uh, with contraception that a lot of people aren't aware of. I mean, even a lot of contraception, if you look at it, it says something like abortifacient. You know, a lot of labels on contraception say abortifacient, meaning that it induces abortion if a fertilized ovum or a person implants in the uterine wall of the woman that it will force an abortion. It'll cause the lining of the uterus to then shed to force the abortion. Right. And so it's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. But we, we've definitely had some experience with NFP within our marriage. Yeah. We've been married for how long? 10 years. 10 years. Thank you. I always say 11. Um, but we have been married now for 10 years. And we have four children. And everyone expects us to have like 10 more. Right. Right. Um, but I can also tell you when we conceived each of those children the conversations that Jason and I had, you know, during those times because of charting and, and the knowledge of my own body. And I think that's a really, really beautiful thing that a lot of people don't understand is that besides the fact that NFP always opens the door for God to be part of the conjugal act, but that it also allows women and men the knowledge of the woman's body that they wouldn't normally have being able to say, hey, I, I mean, I like to say to Jason when I was had it on a like a paper chart. By the way, in three days my cycle may, might start, so my moods are going to get really awesome in the next three days. So, but we've had some good and some bad experiences with NFP, and usually the only bad thing was that we just didn't want to commit. I did not want to trust enough to to keep doing it. Well, I mean, I think that that's kind of the heart of what we've been through. We were talking with the young adults last night here at the house about like when you get married and begin to have children, it is a huge maturing process as a Catholic, you know, um, I mean, in the Catholic church, it's no question that you are entering into a great calling to become a saint. And part of that, and you know, the heart of the spiritual life is abandonment, right? you know, and, and why do we not want to do that? It's because we're afraid. And really, at the heart of 
the contraceptive movement is this deep-seated fear. What's so diabolical is that it's a fear of precisely the most beautiful part of creation, which is life, particularly human life. Right. You know, so it's especially diabolic when this sort of fear of life is cast on the society. And so we react and rebel against this very natural axiomatic part of life, which right. is that and we, we even, don't control it. We you know? even use language <laughs> to hint that this is unnatural. Like we even say things like, I'm going to go get fixed. You know, you hear, especially men say that, you know, I'm going to go get fixed because they're going to have vasectomies. Right. As or, if you're broken. As if you're broken. Or you take a pill when you're sick, but you're not sick. sick. You're right. <laughs> right. Um, and so it kind of even, we've even adopted this language of, um, which is diabolic right or even one of uh, we we've heard stories from people saying you know like i my my parents joke that i was an accident you know that yeah even if it's said in jest it right is terrible. it's just not something to joke about like your existence was an accident you know well, i think for us at gabriel jeremiah i think we've talked about the injury that gabriel has had and i think there was grace that allowed us to kind of proceed into jeremiah's life without fear of that happening again. And then we had Gemma. And Gemma was Gemma was crazy. That whole pregnancy was just nuts. I mean, I was in really good health. I was very in very good shape. I was really kind of looking forward to carrying a baby again, I think. And then it was just not a good thing for me. My body just revolted. And I think, when did I start having contractions? Like at 30 weeks? It was really early, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, so I started having contractions really early. Um, and not like Braxton Hicks contractions, like real contractions, um, like every five minutes. And I remember we went into my doctor, and you know how they hook you up? Um, well, for those of you that have not had a child yet, they, you bring, you, they bring you in and they like hook you up to this machine. It looks like an EKG machine. And I remember the doctor coming in with Gemma, and he's like, whoa given birth. But the thing is, I had had some, uh, I had had a surgery prior to that, like it couldn't break through. But that in most situations, I would have had the baby already. I mean, it started at 30 weeks. And it, it got to the point where I couldn't walk. So I was pretty miserable. Time for us. Yeah. And so um, we ended up giving birth, of course. But afterwards, I was just in fear. Like I just did not want to do that again. I didn't want to have another pregnancy that would push me into depression. And I thought for sure, like, if I have another baby, I'm just going to be depressed. And I just can't do it. And so we came home, and Jason and all of his patients never agreed with me. But you just said, I understand during all that time. Do right. you remember that? Right. I mean, how could I begin to say? You're wrong, honey. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> this is a grave moral sin. I'm glad you didn't say that. But, I mean, I told him we came home. And, you know, there's a period of abstaining, of course, anyway, after you have a baby, just because of, of the body needs time to heal. And so we're in the middle of abstaining anyway. And I was like, we're never going to have sex again because I don't want to have another baby. So maybe we should we should contracept. Right. And I tried everything to find a way. A way. And if know? you try hard enough, I'm sure I would have. Right. You'll find somebody who will. And we definitely had you friends okay. that were telling us, like, it's fine, you know, you guys have done your part, you've got your three kids, 
Uh, you have like the perfect American dream. Actually, I think the perfect American dream is like two, like boy and girl. Yeah. Um, and so like you've got this great family. It's fine. You guys can contracept now. I went into my spiritual director, not to talk about contraception, but to just talk about my spiritual life. And in the middle of it, I said something and he, he said, you know, it really just sounds like you don't trust God. Like, it sounds like this is not really about what you're talking about. Like, it sounds like you don't trust God in something very big. And I just broke down. <laughs> yeah. And I think I came home and apologized to you right away. And just said, you know, thanks for putting up with me thinking about putting us in grave moral sin. Yeah, you know? I, I remember feeling a lot of relief. <laughs> um, it's funny because, you know, at first, like even when we got pregnant with Abigail, our fourth, I was devastated, you know, I was, <laughs> I was kind of like, I can't believe this. We were just about to start formation for the diaconate and we literally found out the night before <laughs> our first, you know, um, discernment weekend for the diaconate, you know, of course you kind of go into this despair of like, well, I guess the Lord doesn't want me to do this, to do this and you know, <laughs> we shouldn't even go tomorrow. And <laughs> right. I was just like, my head was in my hands for like 20 minutes and I didn't speak a word. <laughs> My lack of freedom in that moment, you know, it caused an awakening to me, you know, right. that I was not, in fact, abandoning and trusting in God, which is the whole purpose of the spiritual life. You know, it's hilarious that we think we can take on something as profound as the diaconate when we're not even living a life of abandonment, <laughs> right. you know. So that may have been more of a spiritual awakening and, and monumental moment in my life than, you know, something that people would think would otherwise be, you know. Right. These, these moments are, are a huge call within a marriage to trust in the Lord. And um, every child we've had has just made our life more rich and we can't imagine life without them. So right. it's been this gradual unfolding of us becoming who we are within our marriage and living a life truly with God right. uh, and, and abandoned to his love and care and he has continued to show us over and over again that there's nothing to fear so it's like this dispelling of fear um i think is a is a big theme within our marriage and probably every marriage that truly is trying to live according to the uh, teachings of the church right and with sound moral judgment right and you know before we go it is it is a tough road i mean there are definitely if you if you had to say I would say that there's probably like a, a 30, 70 ratio of people telling you that like a 30% ratio of really passionate Catholic people that, that say it's fine. Like you yeah. need to do what the church tells you to do. And like 70% of the world that's like, no, this is nuts. Like you don't have enough seats in your car and you're not going to be able to put everybody in college and... You're not going to be able to retire at 50 and right. just live a lavish life of going to On Fiji. Fiji. <laughs> right. I love that that's the first thing that we ever thought of. We're probably never going to go to Fiji, honey. Um, Which I'm fine with. <laughs> but gosh, man, if it is not profound, there's this great quote, I think it's from Fulton Sheen, where he says, like, the moment that a child is born, the world is forever changed. Yeah. You know, and it's so true. I mean, there's absolutely nothing else. Yeah. And and I think about the fact that with each one of them, I have become, like you said, more of who I am. Yeah. There's also this great, great quote from Edith Stein, um, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, who says that the soul of a woman expands and provides shelter for other souls to grow. 
and I think that that's also something that happens yeah. for men. You know, I think it is, it's probably more profound and more innate within women that their souls expand and also our bodies to house other souls. But also within men that there is something that happens. There's an expansion of your heart with every child that you're not even aware Absolutely. can happen. I mean, we've had the same conversation with every kid. You know, if, if we have this next kid, what if, what if we can't love them like we want to? Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful dying to self for the man. Right. You know, he gives his life up working to, uh, you know, provide and sustain his family, his beautiful wife and his children. And yeah, it does feel like dying as you it go does. on, you know, it but it's, it just gets more and more beautiful as you become less and less selfish and more and more altruistic and uh, abandoned. Yeah. And I think a really good God. tip for, for married, married couples for just people in general, is to say the things that you don't think need to be said. You know, and by that I mean like, like for us in our marriage, it's very important to me when Jason comes home and says, wow, the house looks really nice. You know, like you did a really good job with the house. Or um, just any random thing like that. Obviously, it's something that I try to do every day. Sometimes I'm really bad at, but sometimes that I try to do every day that when he says, it's just like you go to get your hair cut, it's really nice. And people are like, wow, your hair looks really good. But we had a moment like that, even with Jason, you know, because we always think about that in relation to the woman, like always take care of the woman's heart, always give her affirmations, always confirm who she is. And I think that it also applies to men. Like Jason no, had texted me, what was it, yesterday or today? And just said, you know, like, it's I'm having a tough day this morning. It's been a really rough day at work. And I said, I see that and I appreciate that from you. And I know that because you work so hard, I can sit here where I am. And I think I was by the pool. I was like, I can sit here by the pool and pray and leisurely let our children play yeah. and be who they are because of how you sacrifice yeah, for us. Yeah, and that instantly made it all better. You know, it, for the man, you know, if he has a, a righteous reason to sacrifice himself, it becomes very easy. Right. Yeah. And ironically, if you buy into what the world tells you, which is that life is all about accumulating wealth so that you can sit around and... Uh, you know, have, quote, leisure, which isn't true leisure. When you struggle for, for money in that way, you find no peace. Right. You know? So, so. we wish you peace. Absolutely. And, and one of the best ways for you to do that is to understand that the church's teaching on contraception being a grave moral sin is true. Yeah. That it is something, it is a difficult pill to swallow, if you see what I just did there. Well done. Well, um, <laughs> but... It is definitely something that is for your better and for the perfection of your, your soul. We hope that you'll stick with us through this season of the School of Humanity podcast. Happy past NFP Awareness Week, and let's all be saints together. God bless. <laughs>